Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. On this podcast, we'll talk about purpose, legacy, influence, love, sex, success, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review, subscribe, and join the thousands of other changemakers in our community on Facebook, or go to www.mantalks.com. So today, we're going to talk about tough love. We're going to talk about relationships with one of the masters. Today, I have joining me Mr. Rob Candle, and uh, Rob has been, he, Rob runs a very interesting podcast of his own, and it's an interview series where they do a, a coaching call uh, with somebody who's struggling within a relationship in some capacity. And uh, Rob, is, in, in the past, was actually a business consultant. So he's got a lot of entrepreneurial experience. And he, does, he still does quite a bit of business consulting. Um, but is using that consulting skill and that knowledge of human behavior and human communication and uh, communication skills to support couples, to support relationships. So today... We're going to dive into the importance of communication within your relationship. We're going to talk about some of the discrepancies that sometimes can come up between men and women. We're going to talk about creating more intimacy through your communication. And uh, we're just going to dive in on everything relationships because this guy is knowledgeable. So without any further delay, please welcome Mr. Robert. All right, Robert, thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited to have you on. This has been a long time in the works. It's true, but I have to be here. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So let's dive right in with our classic question. Tell us a defining story about yourself and, and how it made who you are today. Well, I have my standard story. It's really the wake-up call that I had, and it just changed my entire life. Back in 1999, <laughs> Long time ago, I was a yuppie, straight-laced, normal person, corporate America, Transamerica building in San Francisco, suit and tie every day, married, had a house in San Francisco, really like rising up the corporate ladder. And my wife, uh, my ex-wife now, but my wife at the time said, hey, do you want to take a class on sex? Well, for someone who we weren't having a lot of sex uh, when some, your partner asks you that, the answer is yes, of course, I'd like to take a class on sex. And so fast forward about a week, a week and a half later, and I end up in this class down the basement of this house in Marin. And there's a lot of attractive women, a lot of attractive people. And I'm I'm nervous, but I'm trying to be cool, That that balance between nervous and cool. And we're doing introductions and speaking about ourselves. And the, I start speaking. And I speak and I come from the heart and I feel brilliant and I feel eloquent and I feel like, you know, that everyone's going to clap or the teacher's going to invite me to come up to the couch and teach with him. And then instead he said, hey, do you know your wife's crying? And she was sitting right next to me, you know, maybe a foot and a half away. And I was so full of myself and so numb and dumb 
that I had no idea that my words were so offensive, so chauvinistic and misogynistic. And I looked and it was horrible. I like had this self-realization of how little I knew, mostly about myself and my words, but also about how I affected her. And then the teacher did something brilliant. He left me alone. He went, who's next? And I had to sit in the angst and the pain of that embarrassment for a good hour as other people did their introductions. So I had two choices at that point. Choice number one was to stand up, throw over my shoulder and go back to my cave. Uh, the one I picked was, wow, I'm going to stay here and learn. And that one moment, March 20th, 1999, has affected the rest of my life incredibly. I love it. I love it. That's a really powerful story. And it, it's kind of funny because we had a event here in Vancouver last night. It was called Relationships WTF. Mm. And one of the questions that we asked people was, what's your what the fuck moment in your relationship, you know, in, your, in the past? And it's interesting to hear you tell that story because it sounds like that was definitely a sort of WTF moment for you where it was kind of like, oh my gosh, like, how is my communication coming out like this? So what did that, like, what did that teach you? Like, why, why, A, why was that happening in the first place? You know, why do you feel like you were communicating like that? And, and is that sort of like the standard MO? Like, do you feel like most men specifically have that type of moment within their relationships where they might be communicating in a way that's kind of unclear to their partner or not taking into consideration their partner or, or not being empathetic towards the other person? Like, is, is that a sort of a standard thing? Definitely. And I want to be really crystal clear here. I think uh, men have so much misinformation. I've been trained so poorly to be communicators. Women too, but different. But for men, it's really, we haven't been trained to pay attention. We, we're not attached to our emotions. We're not attached to our intuition. And that's not a man's fault. That's society's fault because that's how we were taught. And I, I watch and I witness and I coach and I teach. And I've seen thousands of instances where a man is speaking and he has absolutely no idea how offensive he is to a woman. And women are taught to basically like, okay, there's just another guy being a chauvinistic. And they don't know either. They don't know how to speak it. And so what we have is uh, dumb men and angry women, uninformed men and, and women who don't know how to speak and say, hey, when you said that, that's offensive. And the only advantage I had was I was doing my normal thing, but with a teacher who was willing to say, hey, do you know, my wife was for the first moment able to express her emotion and uh, the teacher was willing to point it out and let me burn in it, which is a really horrible, painful moment, but educated me so deeply on how much I didn't know. Nice. It's really good. You know, it's one of the things that I've come to learn is that oftentimes we as men will learn through challenge, you know, and oftentimes that challenge of just being kind of called out a little bit and called forward and then left to left to sort of like ruminate in a little, you know, ruminate in that space a little bit is one of the most powerful things. So, so let's talk about, obviously today's gonna be a little bit about communication, about relationships. Hopefully we'll dive into intimacy a little bit as well. But one of the biggest things that I hear in the majority of couples is that not only is communication key, but communication is also one of the most challenging things for most couples specifically. Totally. And so as men, like, what do you see as some of the most common gaps or common challenges from our side in being able to sort of translate the feminine form of communication and, and what we sometimes miss? 
Well, there's a lot written, and I've trained a lot on masculine and feminine communication. And so here's some, some basic thoughts to think about. Masculine communicates for production. It communicates to move point A to point B. And there's a very productive aspect of it. We want to just keep in motion and we want to communicate. We want brevity. We want to the point. Feminine communication is for connection. It's not for production. It's for connection. It's actually for creating intimacy. And so when you have a masculine speaker with a feminine speaker, you're speaking for different desires and for different intentions. And that's a huge piece if you don't know that. And a lot of men will speak to their women like they talk to their auto mechanic. And they're speaking in terms of let's get this cycle done. Let's move from point A to point B. And the feminine, the woman often is speaking, no, I want to know what's going on and connective. So a woman will say something, even a problem, and the man will take that as, oh, let's fix the problem. But the woman's just speaking in terms of, no, I want you to know what's going on with me and I want to know how you'd react to it. And so the barrier between the two is really challenging if you're not speaking with the same intention. Nice. Yeah, I, I always like to say that usually men speak with the with the the lens of what's the like what's the point? You know, where's where's the point in what you're trying to communicate and let's get to the point. It's kind of a funny perspective because you know, once I started seeing that, I started seeing it everywhere, you know, and guys are always in that space of communicating, especially like man to man. You know, we sit down, we have a conversation mm-hmm. and we're telling a story about work or about a relationship and and we're kind of in that space of like, okay, what's the point? Like what's the point of this conversation? What are you trying to teach me or tell me? And you know, the feminine often does not communicate like that. So so let's talk about diving into how we can bridge that gap, right? Uh, what are some of the things that the the guys and and the women out there who are tuned into this, how can we bridge the gap between uh, the more masculine and feminine form of communication? Great. If I could, I'd just like to give credit where credit's due. Um, a lot of these viewpoints I learned from Nicole Dedone, my business partner, ex-business partner from One Taste. And a lot of this I really learned from her. And so I just like to you know, always give credit. And a lot of it's my own experience. Um, but awesome. I think the the main thing that we always say would be for women to talk and men to listen. And not just listen to the words. You know, communication is made up of three parts. There's the words themselves. There's the intonation of the communication. How, you know, the, the, the modularity of the voice and the pitch of the voice and how fast you're talking. And also there's the intention, the, the, the desire behind the communication. Words, intonation, intention. When all three match up, that's where communications really land. If one of them are a bit askew, you get some cognitive dissonance. You get some, uh, it's like someone says, you look really nice, but it doesn't feel like it. And so the main thing to do is to communicate is to be really crystal clear on all three parts. If I scream at someone, give me a glass of milk. Well, they're not going to understand why I'm screaming. And so women are really trained to be better at matching up all three. Men aren't. And so a lot of the time, like women will speak and they're so attuned to their emotions and they're not sure that the man's receiving it. And if the man doesn't get it, they think there's, they're not really paying attention. And in that attention, there's a lot of anger and um, malaise, you know, a lot of issues between the two. So your ability to, for women to speak, 
Men to listen deeply, not just to the words, but what's the feeling behind it? What's the motivation behind it? And that's how you bridge a lot of communication gaps. Yeah, that's awesome. That's some really, really good insight. And I think that will definitely help a lot of people. I'm, I'm curious, do you ever use the term universal statements? Like, is that something that you've ever um, unpacked before? Un- univer- no, I'm sorry. I don't know that one. No, that's okay. That's okay. Um, so uh, I call them universal statements. I'm actually not too sure where it came from. So I can't give credit, unfortunately, because mm. I actually learned this through my former partner, Kelsey Grant. So I'll give her the credit. Um, <laughs> Good. But, <laughs> um, but this is something that I started to become aware of in my own personal dynamic where I would use these like broad sweeping statements mm. within the relationship. Like you always do mm-hmm. this, right? And it was a universal and basically it would communicate that they were always doing some behavior or generally we use it to, to communicate that our partner is doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. And so how can we best approach? Cause I think for a lot of guys out there, you know, when we have a criticism or, or critique or something like that, we're not really too sure, at least in my space years ago, I didn't really know how to deliver that communication or that critique. And so it would oftentimes get built up into this universal, broad sweeping statement was like, you always do this. You never text me before bed, or you always uh, ignore me when blah, 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 blah. So how do we deliver those criticisms or critiques? Because I like to say that criticisms and critiques equal emotional needs. And so oftentimes, uh, there's a very good reason why that's happening. But I think that sometimes those things can get lost in translation. So do you have any insight for how we can give out criticisms and critiques or how we can receive them and sort of understand the emotional need behind it? Sure. I mean, I call those superlatives. Um, That's my term. And that happens all the time. And both men and women are very guilty of using superlatives. And people tend to use superlatives when they're point of the emotion where they're not feeling seen or heard. So if you're at the point of universal statements or superlatives, there's been a lot of arguments and a lot of angst that's been going on for a while. And just know that um, it's just important to just, you know, it's a, it's a telltale sign if you're at the point of superlatives. My recommendation and my training in terms of criticisms or emotional needs, as you say them, or desires, as I would call them, is to enroll your partner in a team-like fashion. So what happens more often than not is that we have a need. Our first belief, because we live in a system of scarcity, is our partner doesn't want to give it to us. We actually have the innate belief that we either don't deserve it or there's not enough or they're scarce or they're not going to. So you walk into the conversation thinking he's not going to do that for me or she's not going to do that for me. You're bringing that energy into the conversation. So the first belief is to know if you ask it, there's a better chance than not that they actually really would enjoy giving it to you. So as a communicator of your request, you have to walk in thinking, I'm going to have this. And if it's not the exact thing, then we're going to find some place where we can agree. So you speak the desire and you want to do it in present time. A lot of people have a desire and then don't speak it. And then it grows and it actually grows and becomes angstful. It actually becomes painful because we're not willing to communicate our desires in present time. We wait to the point where it's screaming and then it comes out like a nag, right? So if you have a desire, walk in thinking you can have it, 
speak it as soon as you think it, and then prepare your partner with a communication bridge. Hey, honey, um, I had this thought the other day, and I want to talk to you about it. And I know it might be challenging as a desire, but I really, it's really important to me. Do you have space to hear this right now? As you create the communication bridge, your partner then has the choice to say like, well, honey, I'm actually at work right now, or I'm really tired. Can I rest for a little bit? And we can talk about this in half an hour. But more often than not, they're going to be like, yeah, sure, bring it. When you create that communication bridge, you're actually enrolling them into the conversation. And then the chance of them receiving it is much higher than if you just speak it off the cuff or it comes out as a nag. Mm, that's really, really good. It's really good. I, I call those position and permission, right? Just like positioning that you want to have the conversation and then looking for permission that they're open and receptive to having that conversation in that moment. That's awesome. In, in terms of like what women are often looking for within the sort of, why is communication so important to them? I think, I think in my earlier years, like if I was tuning into this podcast right now and I was, you know, 26 or 27, I'd be like, why is communication so important? Like, why is it such a big deal? Can't we just, you know, have a bunch of sex and be happy and travel the world? You know, those sort of wishful thinking um, viewpoints, but why is communication so important? And, and, what does the communication mean for the sort of for the feminine side? Like, why is it so important for them? Well, one thing to know is sex is a communication. Sex is a form of communication. So <laughs> I, 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 my viewpoint, my lineage is everything's a communication. When you walk in wearing a blue shirt, that's a communication. When you don't call, when you don't text, when how you text, you know, yes versus yeah is different. So everything is a communication if you're willing to pay attention. And like I said, most men are not trained to find the minute details, the, the little things about communication. Women are. Women really notice. Women can, can look at you from head to toe in 0.5 seconds and take in so much communication. So just know everything you do is a communication. In terms of why, the main reason is, is because women love intimacy. And men love intimacy too, but women really like intimacy. They need to have more parts of their body engaged for them to feel close. And I'm speaking in generalities. I mean, there are definitely some women who would just be happy just having sex. And there's definitely a lot of men who definitely need depth of communication and intimacy to feel safe. But as a general theme in our uh, society, you know, women want more intimacy than men. Until a man really tastes intimacy, then he's like, oh, my God, this is it. My point is, is that communication is the cornerstone of intimacy. And when people don't communicate, their brains, their vigilance centers always tend to come up with the worst case scenario. It's like if your partner's out and you haven't heard from them, your mind will go to what is he doing or what is she doing? You know, your, your mind will think of the worst case scenario. And so simply by communicating, hey, hon, I'm out with some friends. We're watching a ball game. I'm having a great time thinking of you. Your vigilance center goes, ah, it just relaxes. And that's how you lower the vigilance center and create intimacy. Just because you're not thinking about the worst case scenario, they're actually feeling you. Mm, that's really good. So let's let's shift towards intimacy a little bit, because I think you know, for some guys, it, it's sort of an elusive term. I think, you know, some guys that may be new to learning about relationships view intimacy oftentimes strictly as sex. 
And so can you unpack maybe your definition of what intimacy is? Wow. Uh, well, intimacy is one. <laughs> yeah, that's a simple question. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> intimacy to me is when you allow your inside to be seen. And most people are, are afraid, scared to death to show their inside. I mean, how many times do we talk about the facade that we wear to the first to the third date and the image and and we want to look good rather than looking real? Well, guess what? At some point, your energy will drop and your insides will reveal itself. And there's a lot of betrayal in relationship because you show your best for the first month, you get them hooked, you get them dating, you get into a relationship, and all of a sudden you bring out those dark, shadowy sides and a lot of times people feel betrayed, like, oh, why didn't you tell me this in the beginning? And so intimacy is just willing to let what's inside out. It's the most important thing. And to have a successful relationship, that's for honesty and not withholding. Withholding to me is lying. And when you withhold part of yourself, you're robbing the other person of this rich part of, you, of who you are. So intimacy is just believing I'm going to let what's inside out. If that person runs or is, doesn't like it, then there's faith that, okay, that's the right thing. And you will find someone who will love those inside. Most of us don't think we're lovable. Most of us don't think we're attractive. And so we hide. And intimacy is when you believe of what's inside is truly who you are. And then you let it out to let the other person see, see and be seen. Really good. I like I like that you uh, have such a great definition right on the spot too, because it's not an easy question to answer. Mm. I, I really just, I wanted to back it up because I think what you just said there really resonated for for me specifically, and and I think it probably would for some of the listeners. There's there's something about withholding. And I like what you said. Withholding is lying. Was that was that right? Withholding yes. is lying. Yes. Yeah. I really I really like that because you know in my earlier years. If there was things that I didn't, and I was avoidant, so I'll just be very transparent mm -hmm. with that. But if there was things that I didn't want to discuss or talk about in the relationship, I would just withhold them. Mm -hmm. And especially if I perceived that that information would either hurt or agitate or anger my partner. Mm -hmm. So can you maybe give us a little bit of insight into why that might happen for, for people that maybe are listening to this and, and that's sort of like their modus operandi, like that's how they operate normally? Well, people, again, think they're freaks and individually unique in our desires. And, you know, we don't have a lot of faith in ourselves, And so we, we live in this society of isolation where we're hiding. You know, Facebook is designed to show the best part of you. And then you see a Facebook post, someone like, oh, I feel like crap. And you're just like, oh, my God, so do I. And all of a sudden it's true. And withholding is lying and it's the most detrimental part of every relationship. And people do it all the time because they don't think their partner will accept them. With my relationship, and it, it was important from day one that I was completely transparent with my partner. I said to my partner, who I'm engaged to now, and I said to her, listen, I'm not a monogamous person. I'm never going to be a monogamous person. If you want monogamy, you should look elsewhere. Because that's truly how I felt. Now, she was not thrilled about this declaration, but she did say later that she loved the honesty around it because then she had the choice to choose 
who she was being in a relationship with. And she's like, all right, I'm just out of a long-term relationship. I could be with this guy who is not monogamous. Let's, let's try it. She was willing to try it. Now it was four months of very challenging. And then eventually I said, you know, I'm glad to be monogamous with you. I changed my mind. But just the truth set the foundation. And most people don't reward their partner for their honesty. Most people punish their partner for their for their honesty. And that's a lot of where difficulty arises, because if I punish my partner for not telling me the truth, then they're not going to tell me the truth. And then I don't know. And so it's very important for both people to set the foundation of honesty and truth so they can actually get to know each other. Most relationships are facade relating to facade. But your willingness just to say one truth. I had this crazy idea. I have this fetish. I have this desire. I saw this girl today and man, she turned me on. And for the person to be like, really, what turned you on about them? That's where the, the richest relationships occur. Nice. So, I mean, what I hear is just like a, a really open and deep, like a rich sense of truth. I think, I think it's interesting because what, I, what I've experienced in the past and what I've seen in a lot of guys who withhold, and I, I really, I, I hope that people take that, um, you know, and give you credit for it, but uh, withholding is, is lying. But what I've seen with a lot of men who tend to withhold is that they're trying to live into this like nice guy mm-hmm. uh, persona, right? And like okay. we've created a culture where, where the nice guy is like, oh, there's no more nice guys. Right. But, but then like the nice guys finish last. And so mm-hmm. we have like all these perceptions around being a nice guy. And I feel like a lot of guys are trying to live into that space of, I need to be nice and telling the truth is going to hurt this person. And so I can't do that because that would make me not nice anymore. So do you have any recommendations for how guys can sort of like push through that? I mean, there's a great book called No, no More Mr. Mr. Nice, nice Guy. guy. Yeah, oh my God. Um, I'm just going to say that. That book is horrible. Yeah. It's so good. It's so horrible. You read it and you're just like, oh my God, this is so me. Dr. Robert Glover, I think his name is. Um, Yeah, it's it's Robert Glover, yeah. It's funny. When when I was growing up, I read this essay or magazine article that said, you know, only assholes get the girls. Because when I grew up, the bad boys got the girls and the nice guys finished last, just like you said. But then in terms of relationship, in terms of long-term relationships, you know, most assholes don't stay in long-term relationships. It's really the nice, attentive guys. Being nice to me is telling the truth without anger. That's, you know, one of the viewpoints I learned. It's just be willing to tell the truth and then receive the truth. And nice is simply to be authentically who you are. When you're not authentically who you are, you're not being nice. You're being phony. And, you know, No More Mr. Nice Guy, the book talks a lot about the anger that nice guys feel because we're holding this deep, rich power, who we are inside in order to be received. But that's where the anger and the cancer comes from. And so your willingness just to be true and real is so paramount of importance because then your partners can decide who you are. And nice guys feel good about themselves. You know, we can go to bed and believe that we're doing, you know, that sensation is right. So all in all, it's just this this thing time and time again to be authentically who you are. Who you are is definitely more attractive than the facade you're wearing because that facade will crack at some point and betrayal will occur. Yeah, that's really, really powerful. And I, and I think in those spaces, like, 
the the funny thing is, is that by living into that facade of being the nice guy, you never get your deepest desires met. You know, you have all these, you have all these wants within the context of a relationship specifically, because that's what we're talking about. But you have all these wants that you, you know, you'd like to explore, whether it's sexually or, you know, whether there's a vacation that you want to go on with your partner or, you know, there's, there's just ways of being that you'd like to have within the relationship dynamic. But by living into that nice guy space, it's almost like you get to stay stuck in never having that which you really want, you know, and it's kind of, it's kind of ironic because you're, you're trying to appease the other person. So, so how do people shift that? Like, obviously telling the truth, not withholding is a very, very, very good place to start. But do you have any other recommendations for maybe some of the listeners out there that, that, that might have uh, landed with besides reading the book? Well, here's the harder of the two. <laughs> this is harder than withholding, you know, not withholding is build your own self-validation, build your own self-contained internal belief and love of yourself. I had a teacher t uh, last weekend say, build a crush, fall in love with yourself. Here's what happens mostly. Most men especially look externally for validation. If I have a hot woman, girlfriend, I'm doing okay. If we're having sex, we're doing okay. If I have a good job, I'm doing okay. If my parents approve of me, I'm doing okay. We actually build our own internal sense of right or wrong looking externally. But the problem with that is all those sources go up and down with their approval, especially, you know, women, especially your partner, because we're both dynamic beings. And so if we gauge how well we're doing externally, then we never have a really solid sense of core of who we are. Self-esteem is built upon esteemable acts. When we do the things that have us feel good and powerful ourselves, then we no longer rely on external sources. And then we have the power to be more honest and truthful. If I'm depending on my girlfriend's response, then I have to gauge, am I telling them the truth or not, to gauge the response I want. If I truly believe in myself, then I can speak the truth authentically all the time I care about her her reaction and how it, it lands, but I'm not basing my own self-esteem on her reaction. There's a really important difference. I can still be connected to her, but I'm not depending on her for me to feel good as a man. And my willingness to truly believe in myself is the most powerful thing a man can do. If you're self-reliant and self-validating, then you depend on no one but everyone who does value is sort of like the icing on the cake. And that's the thing I work with all my clients is, no, don't look to her. Don't suck off her validation. Believe in yourself and then you'll be more powerful. Oh, so good. So good. I, th I think you know, there's, there's a lot to unpack in there. But I think that one of the most powerful pieces is that when we, I think one of the distinctions that I really heard in that, and I just wanted to make this, I just wanted to put this out there is the distinction between I don't need you and I'm okay. You know, like I, I think oftentimes men will hear this in some way. And I know I've been like totally, uh, I've, I've totally done this in the past, but we'll, we'll hear something like this and we'll say, okay, I have to get to this space where I can look at my partner and say, I don't need you. 
And, and I think that that's kind of missing the point because it's easy to swing the pendulum in the opposite direction from where you are. So finding that sort of middle ground of being able to cultivate that inner strength of being able to self-validate and self-regulate and still be able to receive what the other person has to say. Because I think that's also important. I've seen, I've seen men who kind of go in the opposite direction and then they show up in the relationship and I don't, they're like, I don't need your validation whatsoever. And it creates this sort of repulsion. And then their partner feels like they can't contribute, you know, validation and praise, which is something that they might actually like really want to give. So just in terms of how to go about cultivating that balanced sense of internal validation and, in, you know, really what we're talking about essentially is, is a sense of deep confidence, right? Like a quiet, a quiet confidence where you can self-regulate. Do you have any insights into how, how people can do that? It's, it's, the word is practice. <laughs> There's no magic pill. It's not like I can say, you know, drink this formula or drink this power shake or read this book. It's nothing like that. It is just live a life of practice and do the things self-esteem is built upon esteemable acts. For me, when I go to the gym, it builds my self-esteem. When I tell the truth, when I accomplish something, when I don't, um, when I don't withhold from my partner or Every time I'm authentically who I am, it's just these little things that build your self-esteem. And I totally agree with your point because there's a difference between codependence and interdependence, which is a really important piece. Codependence is when your, your happiness is all based on external. Interdependence is when you have a mutual response of approval and power in a relationship. And so finding that interdependence is really important. Mm, so good. Uh, so Robert, we need to start wrapping up here, but I'm, I'm just curious, like, you, you know, you've, you've got tough love, um, which is a podcast and, mm -hmm. and, um, you've interviewed some incredible, incredible people on there about relationships and intimacy and sex and communication and all, all these different pieces. What are some of the top lessons that you've sort of learned from all of these interviews? Cause I can imagine that it's, it's really like a form of an education. Wow. It's, it's amazing. Um, Tough love is a little different because we it's also a live coaching call. So I learn a lot from the people I coach live. You know, the first 20 minutes is a rant on a topic or an interview. And the second half is we actually coach someone. And so the main thing I've learned from the people I coach is that everyone feels like they're the only one with this problem. We have this terminal uniqueness. This belief that we're the only one lonely or jealous or stifled. And it's not. Everyone has this common thing. And in the society of isolation, it's the willingness to reach out and speak. From my experts, I learned a lot from this one woman named Eva Clay, who talked about obsession and talked a lot about how th there's a biological uh, withdrawal that people have in terms of uh, when they break up. And I thought that was a really interesting one because your mind actually goes through a physical split when you break up with your partner. And I, that was a huge piece. But the main thing is that we're all human. We're all doing our best to live in the society, in this world and be connected and be intimate. And your willingness just to say, I need help or to reach out is really a powerful thing. And people love to help each other. When you feel love, it, it's when you let it out that you feel it the most. And so be willing to ask for help, willing to be connected is a powerful key.
Wonderful. It's really, really good. Um, if, if you had, like, do you sort of have like a relationship, not motto, but some core tenants that build up the foundation of your relationship? And, and would you be willing to, to maybe share one of them? My relationship is amazing because uh, we approve of each other. I think that's a, a really big piece. You know, we live in a society of disapproval. We live in a society that, you know, you're doing it wrong. And so my motto is whatever my partner wants, feels, desires is right. And I always say to her, I want to know everything about you. Please tell me, let me know. And then let me get better as a man to be your partner by educating me. And so I approve. I approve of her desires, her wants, her thoughts, her craziness, um, her fear, her anger. And if I can hold a really big container for that approval, then what happens that that all those feelings have a safe place to land and then I can truly get to know. So if you want to improve your relationship, approve of your partner. Approval doesn't necessarily mean that you like it, but when you have like a computer with a virus, you don't throw away the computer, you work on the virus. So approve of the person as a whole, talk about the thing that's not working in your relationship and then find the common ground to morph, to be related and connected. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's very powerful. Um, that's really, really good, man. Thank you. Um, so if people, if people want to learn a little bit more about you uh, and, and learn a little bit more about your work, where can they go? Toughlove.live is my site, uh, T-U-F-F, love.live. There's podcasts. Uh, there's a media page with videos and some of my writing. I'm always looking for other podcasts to be on. I'm so grateful to be on your, Connor. I uh, do life coaching. I also do business coaching on a different website, but you can find me on toughlove.live. There's a free 30-minute consultation. I'm always willing to talk to people. Even if you want to, no, not interesting hiring me, if you want to just chat, I'm always willing to give away my time. It's a pl my pleasure. And there's podcasts up there. There's 61 podcasts up there currently on all different topics from relationship to jealousy, to relating to money, to perfection, to what men want, to what women want, to communication. So please check it out at toughlove.live. And the book is coming this year. Um, so you can find announcements by joining my mailing list, which is also at toughlove.live. Awesome. Awesome, brother. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of Man Talks. Please subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode. Uh, we've started to get a lot more downloads, a lot more traction, people reaching out uh, about guests that we should have on and subjects that we'd like to, that you'd like to us to tackle. So please uh, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes, reach out to us and let us know who you think we should have on our podcast uh, or some of the topics that you'd like us to tackle because we'd be happy to dive into that. Thank you so much for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week with another inspiring conversation. Mm -hmm.